0: Hey everyone, this is Isaac Maddox and I'm the pastor of Activate Church and this is our podcast. Remember, you can subscribe to our podcast and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, builds your faith and I hope you enjoy the message. Yeah. This is tropical
1: goodness. So, so I don't know uh, how many of you are here. Probably about four weeks ago, I preached a message. Uh, This is the 2.0 of that. Uh, But you know, we've been uh, at weddings and then a family camping trip that lasts for two, what like seven days, so two Sundays. Um, I'm part of that group of weird people that wants to go pretend like we're homeless for a week and go live in a tent uh, in the middle of nowhere, right? We're out there by the uh, the lake in the forest. Uh, but, you know, we've been going to Timothy Lake for, I don't know, I've been going with with, with the wife's family for like 17 years. And then uh, they've been doing it for like 65. There's like 100 plus of them every year we do a countdown. Uh, the Wild scoties. Uh but uh yeah, I mean it's it's there's some glamping in there, but we still tented up. Uh but one of my favorite things to do out there is fishing. Do we have any fishermen out there? Love fishing, love the thrill of fishing. Uh generally when I go fishing, we don't catch anything. So when I go out with my brother or Joel, we go out there, we go cruise around, we catch nothing. Maybe a couple bites, uh, but you know, maybe a couple little dinkers. This year was altogether different. Um we we brought in some really big fish. I uh, want to show you guys one of them because it was just, yeah, <laughs> that fish was 23 inches. By definition, is a steelhead. So this was up there at Timothy Lake. I mean, generally we're catching dinkers, 14, 15, 16s. Uh, William, where are you at up here? He's the the master fisherman that pulled this thing out of there. Now, <clears throat> now I will say, don't don't get my my facial expression confused. <laughs> When I saw that picture, I was like, oh, so, um, I mean, you could fill in the blank, like, how are you catching that fish? And I'm catching nothing. I have a zoom-in photo here, All right, a little closer right there, looking in. It, it's not jealousy or envy. Those aren't fruits of the Spirit, so I normally don't operate in those. Uh, but, yes, uh, th- it, it was quite the feat. I mean, so, if uh, if any of you have any interest in knowing where the money hole is... I mean the money hole, because people are cruising around there, trolling all day long, and we were off on our own little finger, uh, but it's a secret. You can come talk to, to Joel or Jared or myself. We may be willing for the right price uh, to divulge where the money hole is, because the kids loved it. I mean, they're just sitting in the boat. You just hook up a rope to this thing that's in the water we won't use, um, but you're just casting out power bait, and one time after another, fish are I mean, just jumping on the line. I couldn't believe it. So it was a great time. Hopefully you guys are enjoying your summer. Um, so, so I want to get right into, into the Word. Now, as I shared with you, this is kind of a 2.0 of my last message, uh, which was titled, uh, Finally Free, Because I Choose to Be. right. Put the power where it belongs, your ability to make a choice. You choose, right? You can't choose your circumstances. You can't choose uh, how you get to where you're going to go. But you have a choice and a responsibility to choose the right thing, okay? So uh, with this message, we learned about... Being a captive, right, which is where things happen to you that are outside of your control, right? You didn't do anything, it just kind of happened to you and it turned out not good. Uh, that's being a captive, right, and that was Joseph. And then being a prisoner, right, where you've got things that you've done in your past uh, that you're not proud of, that maybe you haven't forgiven yourself or haven't let go. And so we looked at how to address both those scenarios so that in your current, in your now, you can live free, Amen. So, so the verse uh, for the Joseph one, just to kind of recap, because the two blend really nicely. Um, the, the first is Genesis 41. This is in regard to Joseph. It says, Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my trouble of my father's household. And he named the second Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. And how many of you love the word of God? even if you don't, you need to, it's amazing, right? It it is instructions for your life. It'll feed you, it'll empower you, and it'll help you to make good decisions, right? Yeah. So what's interesting is his firstborn is, is God showed me how to forget. And the second born was, uh, God showed me how to be fruitful in my affliction. Uh, the, 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 the next chapter Joseph's dad who's giving the blessing over these sons goes ahead and flips it and and he says actually the 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 more honorable, the more blessed, uh, the more favorable approach is to learn how to be fruitful in your affliction, uh, to bring Jesus into the middle of it. Forgetting is wonderful, but forgetting you miss the power, you miss the keys, you miss the ability to be able to say, I stood in the middle of my affliction, I stood in the middle of my hardship, and I allowed God to use it to shape my character. Amen? Amen. Come on. Uh, The second was Paul, right? We learned about Paul. Um, and this is in Philippians 3:13. This is Paul's lesson. Paul says, Brothers and sisters, I do not regard myself as taking hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting. Everybody say forgetting, forgetting, forgetting what lies behind and reaching toward what lies ahead. This is, this is traditionally the dilemma within the Christian faith is, is we're really good. Uh, when we hear a message, we want to move forward. But the problem is unless you let go, unless you forget, unless you release your past, release yourself from mistakes you've made, it's really tough to move forward. Amen? So this this, this two right there I'm going to complement with instead of looking at our past and how it impacts our current Looking at our current and how we can access our future to impact it. Amen? Right? I think we followed that. And the person we're going to look at is we're going to look at the great high priest. We're going to look at Jesus, who's not just the author of your faith, but he's also the finisher of your faith. Right? He stands outside of time. He knows exactly what's going to happen inside of your life. Amen? Amen? So let me just pray real quick. If you could, just bow your heads, close your eyes. We got a real doozy here as long as I don't screw it up. Uh, Father God, thank you so much for the church. Thank you for your bride. Uh, the, The more that we study, Lord, in the book of Revelation, we see just how much you loved your bride, how much you love your church and how how majestic your church is gonna come in its final form, God, where we're all gonna be healed, where we're all gonna be well, where we're all gonna be perfect, where we're all gonna be redeemed of our lives in this world. You didn't choose to take us out of this world, God. You chose to keep us in, God, that we could be a testimony to the world of your goodness, of your patience, of your love, of your grace and of your mercy. And God, I pray through this word today that you would illustrate to anybody, Lord, That's in a situation right now, God, that has them feeling a little frustrated, a little tied up, uh, a little bit uh, wondering why this is happening to me. And maybe just a little bit ticked off at you. God, that that you'd be able to highlight and empower them to know there's a better way to go about approaching these things on a day-to-day basis. Amen? Yeah. Yeah. So many of you know uh, me and my wife. We were youth pastors here for like three years, and my beautiful bride right there. She's the hot brunette up front. Uh, hot. We can say that in church. Don't get it confused. Um, so we've been working on building a house in Bend right? Love Bend. Bend is kind of our homeland. Um, so beginning of COVID, you know, we bought some acreage out there in East Bend, and then we've been building the house. But I've included it in a few of my messages. It has been one thing after another. Building in the middle of all of this has been really fun. One of my favorites, say this facetiously, because I won't lie from the pulpit, uh, one of my favorites was, was when the well company came to dig our well. Right, so that we could have water on our property. They came when we weren't there, um, and they just decided to dig a well on somebody else's property. Right? They didn't even dig it on mine. They gave him GPS coordinates and even put a, a tire out there. I mean, you could miss 20 yards anywhere and you'd have been fine. They just decided we're just going to take her off on the other property over there. When I talked to him, he says, yeah, you know, you can work it out with the neighbor and you two can have your own joint well. And I said, all right, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get another well company and you can figure it out with my neighbor how you've trespassed and dug on his property. Um, Dealing with the county, right? That's always fun, right? They want this, that. And I'm like, I thought I already paid you. No, there's another fee. Uh, Dealing with getting financing secured, which is always crazy. Uh, And then you just couple that with just general life. You know, you're building there, and yet you're here, and every dollar you have goes to this thing. Uh, And yet there's no kind of day-to-day satisfaction, right? It's all delayed gratification, which is not fun. Uh, but one one highlight for us is we decided to invest in a security camera. Security camera. It was the best thing ever. Was. Uh, was the best thing ever. I mean, we got this thing installed, my father-in-law and I. got a T-Mobile line hooked up to it, so on my phone I could look every day, right? So I got a little bit of hope, so did the wife. I'll send pictures every day, right? I could see the painters coming in. I could see the people installing sighting. You can begin to see your dreams come true on a day-to-day basis on this phone um, until uh, uh, Judas Iscariot uh, decided to come in the middle of the night here a couple weeks ago and... Um, Take the camera. Yeah. Who knows where it is at this point? Uh, I get. I wake up and I've got um, messages from the thing telling me, "Save me!" It's like 3:40 in the morning. Like, uh, we've noticed, we've detected, you know, some motion on the property. 3:45. There's motion on the property. Four of motion on the property, and that's the end of it. And uh, they have effectively taken it apart. And I don't even know what happened to it. But uh, for us, it was it was kind of personal. We we're like, hey. Hey, 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 we don't get to see this thing all the time. And so for us, it was progress. Like we could see, we could see some of the vision, right? We could see some of the fruits of our labor begin to, to come to fruition. So when they took that away, it was kind of like, wow, all right, it's a little personal. I'm going to hunt him down when I get there. I already told the sheriff, I said, "I listen, I got this thing on my phone. It's going to alert me if they ever happen to turn it on. I got GPS tied to it, and I will find out who did it. Uh, but he said, not likely. They probably smashed it and threw it in a garbage thing and then stole things on your property. So kind of sad, but, you know, I, here's the nice pastoral pivot. Here we like, you know, but this is how it relates to life. <laughs> you know, when we can see things, it helps with our vision, right? seems really obvious. You need vision to see things. But, but yeah, sometimes you just, you, it's helpful to see it. A lot of times with your kids, you, you don't know, am I doing good or doing bad? Well, we won't know for 15 more years, so hopefully we're doing the right thing, right? Uh, in our marriage, are we doing good or are we doing bad? I, I don't know. Finances, are we doing good or are we doing bad? I don't know. Uh, but when you can begin to see it, the vision, it really changes things, right? So, so what we know for sure about Jesus is that Jesus endured just unbelievably challenging situations. He, he really did, but he had a vision, right? So whereas on our past message, it was really all about going into the past uh, and getting that healed and whole and well so that we could be well in the current, today's message is really tailored about being where you're at right now, regardless of what the circumstance is, and being able to, like Jesus, access what's ahead and plant it smack dab in the middle of right where we're at. See, it's this, it's these, it's these verses of Jesus who was who was divine. He was a hundred percent God, but he was a hundred percent man, right? But yet, the the humanity of him at times really stands out in the text. You can really see him in there sometimes. Like he, you ever read the the section there in Luke uh, where they're going to to, to 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 deal with getting Lazarus raised from the dead? He's behind the rock and. Jesus is, is, is with the people and everyone's crying and you see Jesus, it says Jesus wept. That's like a verse. Jesus wept. Well, why would Jesus wept? He's gonna raise him from the dead, right? I mean, why are you crying? It's because Jesus feels everything, knows everything. He knows the beginning, he knows the end. He's outside of time, but Jesus feels us. He feels every emotion, he feels every thought. He has all of these things and so when you read Jesus in the text, he's hearing people's conversations. He's knowing what they're going through. And every once in a while, it kind of creeps out. But let's jump into one of our main texts for the day. Let's see how Jesus actually did this. Go to Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 2. And this is right after Hebrews 11, right? The great cloud of witnesses, which, you know, is all of the, the hall of famers in the kingdom of God. And it says, therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking only at Jesus. Everybody say that for me. Looking only at Jesus. Looking only at Jesus. Only at Jesus. That's how you run the race. <clears throat> Looking only at Jesus, the originator and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him endure the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So is that how you feel about overcoming really big obstacles, joy? Who for the joy set before him. This one is is one of those verses that's quite the conundrum, right? I I could understand Jesus being like, yeah, I'm just going to endure this thing. Or I'm going to find a way to overcome through this thing. I'm going to find a way to just really just be bigger than than I am to be able to make my way through. Just kind of gird it out. But there was joy. And, And it's that joy that actually carried him through. So when we look at Jesus, this is not a person who's just standing there. It's a person who actually knew what heaven is, who knew the outcome before they got there. And so even though there was humanity for him, that he knew he was going to have to endure the cross, endure the, endure the crucifixion, endure the shame, endure the guilt, endure the heaviness, he also had joy. And it was this joy that helped him to be able to endure these things, right? So, so this is the same Jesus right the only jesus okay this is the same jesus that from his standpoint the biggest thing that he was going to have to overcome wasn't even the pain it was separation right so so when jesus knew he was going to the cross he knew what that meant he knew he knew for the very first time since jesus was with the father since the beginning of time He knew he was going to experience separation for the very first time from the Father. And in addition to separation, Jesus was going to experience the fullness of the wrath of God poured out on his body. He's going to experience guilt that we've all felt, we've earned. Our shame, our sin, the penalty of all these things was going to be poured out on him while he's separated from God. And yet, this is the same Jesus who says, but for the joy, the joy... The joy, the joy. Mm. He he really is amazing. You look into 1 Peter 1, 18 through 20. It says, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as a lamb unblemished." and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but appeared in these days just for the sake of you. Do you know he had you in mind? No, he really did. Uh, bef- before you were even a thought, he had you in mind. And, and we could go one step further, right? He, he knew your life. He knew the decisions you were going to make. He knew, he knew the church. Uh, he knew your family. He knew your own personal life from beginning to end, before it even began. And you're actually the joy that was set before him. You were the joy. The joy. Uh, uh, it, it changes when it becomes personal when you realize that, that you were the actual joy that Jesus had. Like he had you in mind. We, we have the tendency to look at things so big picture like, yeah, you died for the world. No, he died for you personally. And it was, it was the joy of seeing you redeemed, the joy of seeing you saved, the joy of seeing you freed up, the joy of seeing all the shame and all the guilt and all the pain that was personally yours taken on his shoulders. That was a great joy to him. That's how he endured the cross. There was something about Jesus that he was able to look ahead in the middle of a situation. That's what I want to touch on today, is, is how do you have joy? How do you endure? How do you make it through a situation that seems so unbearable, right? Whether that's, whether that's your kids, like raising kids in today's generation, it's hard. I'm sure that's hard in every generation, but it's hard. You don't really know if you're doing good or bad. How about your marriage? If you get into a sticky situation, how do you move forward? How do you endure through the pain? How do you endure through the shame? How do you endure through these things? Your finances, you lose your job. Your vision. Somebody gets sick. Somebody dies. How do you endure through these kind of things? Well, Jesus' example is pretty simple. It's he's going to pull from what's ahead. He's going to pull from future. He's going to pull from prophetic. He's going to pull from the word of God over, over his life. Okay, and he's going to bring it into right in the middle of his situation so that, so that it can begin to be seen through the perspective of the lens of God seemingly pretty complicated but it's not you see Ephesians 1 4 through 6 it says just as he chose us in him before the foundation of world of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him in love he predestined us he already knows yeah. Psalms 139 16 I love this one this th- you, you ever have verses in your bible that like are just super personal mm. This is one of those for me, personal. This, this, this chapter in Psalms, if you haven't spent time in, in this Psalm, I mean, Tiffany Lovelace preached on it a few times God's I was like, that's my, that's my jam right there. It says, it says, your eyes have seen my formless substance and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. Your God loves you so much so much. He knows every day of your life. There's nothing that catches him off guard. He's not surprised by the situation in your life. He's not surprised that things aren't going the way that you thought they were going to go. He's not surprised that you're, that you're facing some difficulties. He's not surprised about these things. In fact, your days are ordained. He, he knew them before there even was a day. Bef- before the earth was even created Right, It says in the Bible that, that Christ was crucified before the foundations of the earth. Like Jesus already knew the decision that he was going to make before this whole thing began. Before it began, he had you in mind. And it's actually in the book, Lamb's Book of Life. He, he knows what it is that you're going through. Nothing is going to surprise him. And yet we take that same mentality into our our place that we're in where we're saying, God, I need you in here. I'm having a tough time processing how to deal with what's in front of me in my life right now. So I want to take a look at how Jesus was able to deal with hardship. It's going to be in John 14, but before we get to John 14, I want to go to John 13. It's important when you're reading the text that you read it in its proper context. It's because John 14 is a great chapter, amazing chapter, so rich, so deep, so prophetic, so beautiful, right? The way he loves the disciples. But John 14 doesn't pop without John 13. See, John 13 is when Jesus openly declares to the disciples, I'm about ready to die. And he also predicts his betrayal. He hits on Judas and he hits on Peter. It's the Last Supper. It's the washing of his disciples' feet. See, this book, without the Holy Spirit, it's good. But with the Holy Spirit, it's it's on another level. See, because for me, when I'm reading... The Holy Spirit opens it up to me like it's a, like a movie. Like I can see it. More importantly, I can feel it. I can feel the heart of Jesus. I can feel what that must have been like to, to, to carry that load. And, and you have Jesus there. Now, now, now Jesus in chapter 13, he, he knows very shortly he's about to be hung. Very shortly he's about to have the entirety of the wrath of God poured out on his life. Very shortly this is all about to happen. Uh, and And now he 's going to sit down at the table with the same people that are going to abandon him <sighs> really imagine that if you knew tomorrow that your spouse was going to die, imagine if tomorrow you knew you're going to lose your child imagine if you know, your close friend you knew was going to get in a car accident and they'd be gone forever tomorrow. Imagine if you knew that you were going to find out that you had cancer tomorrow. Lose your career. How would you feel about the weight? And this is what makes Jesus so spectacular. is his ability to separate the, the most important, the, 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 the weightiest of things and 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 respond like only he can. So it's important that you understand that when we go into John 13 that, that this, is, this is what Jesus is carrying coming into the sit down at the t- at the last supper. He's carrying the complexity and the weight of all of humanity, okay? And and these are the very people that are going to carry him away to it. John 13:1 it says, now before the feast of Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who are in this world, he loved them to the end. See, Jesus didn't just know the punishment that was about to come on him. He knew the betrayal that was getting ready to happen. He knew Judas was going to sell him out for a sack of coins, He knew that Peter was going to deny him. He knew that every single one of his disciples that said, I'll follow you to the end of the earth was about to abandon him. And they were going to scatter like sheep. He knew this was all going to happen. And yet, you see his response. You go to Peter 13. I mean, pardon me, John 13. And Peter says, Lord, why can I not follow you? Peter really wants to do right. I, I, I see myself in that, old Pete. I want to do right. He said, Lord, why, why, why can I not follow you? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus, you can almost hear his frustration because he's human too. Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a will... Well, crow, not crow until you deny me three times. So, so the weightiness of 13 leads us to 14. It is a, it's quite the scene. Sitting at the table, you're breaking bread. He knows all this going to happen. Then Jesus pulls out, pulls out a robe, ties it up, gets on his knees, washes the s- disciples' feet, the same feet that are going to betray him, washes the feet of the people that are going to abandon him, and serves them and says, "You have no part of me unless you do the same." Now love each other. Yeah. Mm. You go to John fourteen, and this this is the the amazingness of Jesus. It says, "This he says to the disciples at the table." He says, "Do not let your heart be troubled." Sh- Jesus shouldn't your heart be troubled? Your You're getting ready to be betrayed. You're getting ready to be abandoned. You're getting ready to be crucified. You're getting ready to be separated from your father in heaven. You're getting ready to feel the weight of the sin of the world on you. And he's coming to them saying, do not be troubled. Really? In your hardest, most challenging situation, are you there in that place? Do not be troubled. Let me take care of you. Jesus is amazing. And if that's in his worst day, imagine how much he loves you now. When he says, come to me, he really means it. When he says, cast your cares on me, he really actually means it. When he says, I I, I want you to come and lay your burdens at my feet, he actually means it. He has the capacity. I don't have the capacity. If I'm having a bad day, I may kick the dog. I may scream at my wife. I may yell at my kids. I may lose it. Here's Jesus. He's about ready to start sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane that night, and he knows it. And yet, it's do not be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And here's our key note here, the verse. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you because I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm coming back again and will take you to myself so that where I am, you will be also. So here's Jesus. He's not telling them what he's really processing. He's not telling them the weight of what he's carrying. In fact, when he's in the garden, he doesn't even tell them. When blood is sweating down his face, he doesn't even tell the disciples. He said, just pray. Just pray. Pray for me. Pray. Pray. He doesn't need to dump on the disciples. He's big enough to carry the weight. And he says, you know, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to reach ahead. Mm-hmm. I'm going to reach ahead into what's ahead and grab a hold of that which hasn't come to pass and I'm gonna plant that smack dab in the middle of my wildest, most challenging, breathtaking, can't believe it, the time is here moment. There is times when it's gonna, it's it, your number's gonna get called, where you're gonna get pushed beyond what you think you have the capacity to even carry. And this is one of those moments for Jesus. And Jesus says, look, I, don't be troubled. I'm going to the Father. And you'll, you'll get some of these modern vernaculars that will take that room's word and say mansions. Not entirely accurate. It's not like there's going to be a billion mansions set up in the New Jerusalem. But the rooms word is actually pretty accurate to the original Greek. The original Greek is dwellings or abode. Now that word, interesting enough, abode, it's just as we know it, abide. And and it's only used in one other section of text where Jesus is describing relationally how he wants to deal with us. But what's, what we need to look at this is, Is that when Jesus is saying, in my Father's house, there's many rooms. That's what heaven is. Home in the Father's house. Your Father has a place for you in heaven. Jesus has had 2,000 years. If he built this in one day, imagine what he'll do with 2,000 years. Right? Heaven, Jesus has been there at this point. In fact, the, the Bible says before time he was there with the Father. He knows exactly what heaven looks like. He knows what we're walking into. Uh, he knows the, uh, the beauty and the splendor. And all he's trying to, to tell the disciples to prevent them from losing track of what's actually happening is, Look, don't worry. I'm going to go do this. I'll come back for you. And if, and if it wasn't so, I wouldn't have told you. Jesus is demonstrating that when you are in the middle of something that is unbearable to the highest extent, what I'm asking and showing and demonstrating for you to do is I want you to pull from what is ahead and bring that right into the middle of where you're at. See, our perspective is too temporal. So when hardship happens, things that we don't like happen, we have the tendency to look through the now and say, well, God, you're not looking out for me. I would not have married this woman. That sounds so bad. I would have married myself. Real. Right? I got saved at 20. Didn't date anybody for a couple years because I was a little bit of a heathen. Right? And I knew I couldn't do it until the right one came. But, but I wanted to marry me. I wanted somebody like me. In fact, the first time I saw a, a girl hanging out in a group session, she was identical to me. We would have killed each other. We would have killed each other. God knows what's best. God knows what's best because he's outside of time. So Jesus is demonstrating to us that there's a better way to approach what's in front of you. Okay, John 14, 23 says, Jesus said to them, same chapter, if anyone loves me, he will follow my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our dwelling. You ever hear that? 14, 15 in John? Well, they talk about Jesus like, I want them to have what we have. As much as you're in me and I'm in you, they'll be in me and they'll be in you. And you'll be in them and I'll be in them. That's the abode we're talking about. Jesus is explaining this to them, but they just don't get it. Right? John 15, 4 says, abide in me and I in you. This isn't a, a friendly ask. This is is him saying, if you want to make it. 15, he's still there. He's still with the disciples. He's saying, you need to abide in me as much as I'm going to abide in you in order for you to be able to make it through what's going to happen. It's the abiding in that will liberate you to be able to be in a place where you can be able to have the strength to be able to make it through. So what we want is we want to do things on our own, right? I'll figure it out. I'll try another way. Uh, I may have a better idea on how to fix this. When really what we need is we need to find a way to stay where we're at and call Jesus in to the middle of this situation because the wisdom that you need won't come outside of abiding. You may be able to get some specific ideas or thoughts from people, but the, the actual real solution to what you're going through will only be found in that intimate place of abiding. Where, where he's in the middle of your situation, where you call him in. Because it's in that secret place where he's going to give you the actual solution of what to pray. We, I want to say, know how to pray, kind of. We kind of want to pray. But when stuff gets really heavy, we'll pray. The problem is, what are you praying? Take me out. Is your prayer really? I mean, is it really like Jesus who said... Not my will be done, but let yours be done. The only way for you to be able to have a prayer life like that in the middle of a situation is you have to find a way to be able to bring him into the middle of it and say, I don't exactly know how I got here, how I'm going to get out, or what is actually going to need to happen in order for me to move forward, but I know you do. You have a plan, and if I bring you into the center of this, and I abide in you and you abide in me, then I'll be able to carry my way on through. So when I preached a couple weeks ago, right, I talked about the janitor's keys, right, that when you go through a dilemma, when you go through a tragedy, when you go through a hardship, when you go through a challenging time, if you run, you'll get sent back around the mountain again. Some of us are really good at doing the same tread around the same mountain. You're not going anywhere, because once you're done, you're like, all right, I'm done with this. All right, buckle up. <laughs> This looks eerily familiar, Jesus. It's cuz it is. Maybe a change of scenery, but it's it's the same thing. But if you can remain in the middle and not move and stay there, you will receive through your victory keys. Right? So those keys are what the church should actually be most known for is having the keys to unlock a poor marriage because you experienced what it was like to be in the middle of that and you allowed God to come into the middle of that and be able to give you the keys so that when somebody else is going through something, you can provide an actual solution versus just running and hiding, sitting and waiting. This is what Jesus is saying I want you to do. He says, abide in me and I abide in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. If you abide in me, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Right, so how do we know what we should ask? Abide What's my desire versus God's desire for me? It's in the abide. Well what what about the, the solution and the answer? It's in the abide. It's in the intimate. It's in the dwelling together. It's in the middle of it. God's not created us to run. God's not created us to be isolated. God's not created us to just forget everything, although that's a nice cherry on the top because even God can forget. I think that that's a gift for the kingdom that we can forget. But he doesn't want us just to forget. He wants us to learn how to be fruitful in our affliction first and then get on to forgiving. John 14, 28 says, you heard that I said it to you. I'm going away and I'm coming to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. So this, this, is, this has got to be a, sense, a place of frustration for Jesus. He's like, I can't really tell you. I just can't. But if you knew what I knew, you'd rejoice that I'm going to the cross. See, this is why Jesus, there was joy, right, that helped him to endure. Because he knew the end, all outcome. Peter was frustrated. He's like, why? You don't need to go. I'll do whatever it takes. The disciples, they really tried. They really tried. And it's fun because we pick on them because we get to look from, from, you know, the rearview mirror, right? I'm pretty sure I would have sounded probably the same, if not worse, right, to be fair. But but he's saying, if you love me, you'd rejoice. Why would he say that? He's saying that because from a future tense, he's pulling in to say, you know what? You don't know what you're rejecting. You don't know what you're saying no to. You know how many of us have a uh, if you knew, you'd rejoice in it situation? Sickness? You'd rejoice if you knew. Lost my job. You'd rejoice if you knew that it opened the door for a better job. I missed out on a house. You'd rejoice if you knew that the next one that came up was better than this one. That girl or that guy that you got the hots for, outside of your spouse, that's not, so I'll get it confused here, but that that wasn't the right person. You'd rejoice if you knew what was next. You'd rejoice if you knew what God had in store for you. Your days are not numbered. Your time is not done. Jesus is not complete and finished with your work. You have no, no, nothing to really do other than just to rejoice in the fact that he will carry you through. She's so trying to say to him, if you love me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. But it's also Jesus needed to go to the cross to complete his work. He needed to go to the cross to complete his work but even more so to secure a place for us all in heaven Peter didn't realize what was on the line Jesus did Jesus has been to heaven and the disciples had not so how good is heaven I think one of the reasons why we get stuck in the now with death sorrow Addiction with pain is because we've lost sight of what's ahead. You see, in both these examples, Jesus is, is pulling from what's ahead to the now to place it right in front of the disciples to say, If you knew, you wouldn't act that way. If you knew, you'd rejoice. So in the book of Revelation, it's just, it's just such a mysterious topic, heaven is, when you research it. But the Bible's so clear on it. As I was studying this out, it's kind of like, well, how is it just such a mystery? There's some unknown components, but there's a lot of known. Let the word speak for itself. Revelations 21, one through four. This is John, he says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For us, we're pilgrims.
0: This is not your home.
1: Not your home. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth that passed away. This place where you stand today will be gone. Gone. This won't be here. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband I heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the tabernacle of God is among the people and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death and no longer any mourning or crying or pain the first things have passed away Jesus has been working on your home for over 2,000 years when you think of home some of us haven't had a good example when I think of home I think of rest security safe place take your shoes off safety love acceptance that's why when Jesus says in my father's house you're going to live there you're going to live in your father's house where there's comfort and there's joy and there's peace and it's all brand new in Philippians three twenty, it says for our citizenship is in heaven it's not here it's not here We should stop thinking like that. When you interpret things through the lens of an eternal perspective, it changes how you evaluate challenges and hardship and obstacles and things that just seem out of place. We need an eternal perspective. Philippians 3.20, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body. I could use a transformation. Do you have arthritis? Back pain, neck pain. There's no wheelchairs in heaven. There's no canes in heaven. There's no doctors in heaven. There's no sickness in heaven. You have a new body that's conformed to his glorious body. Do you think there was any lack in Jesus's body? He was healthy, young, it's a new body. Everything in heaven is near. You see, this text through the original in Revelations, it threw the the, the Jewish church just massive curveball because it's saying that, that God dwelt amongst the people that he was actually there, that he was in the middle of the new Jerusalem. And in order to thoroughly understand just how huge this is, you need some context. You see, in order to actually have access to God, there was a courts system. The outer court was the court of the nations. This is folks like us, if we were in that time, we have no, no, no obligation to be able to go any further than the court of the nations unless you're a Hebrew by birth. Then they have the court of the women. It's as far as you can go. And then the court of the Hebrew men. And that's as far as they could go. And then they went into the holy place. And this was reserved only for the high priests and the priests. They had access that's not even where the presence arrived once a year the high priest would go into the holy of holies they tie a rope around him too just in case he fell out the presence of god was that thick and that strong and he'd come in to make an offering a sin offering for the people that's the only access they had to the presence of God. So the notion that God would be amongst his people with no barriers, no courts, nothing to stop you from having access to God was so foreign, it threw them through a massive curveball. We're used to it here. When this worship team's up here and you raise your hands and God's presence is coming down and you feel it, you sense it in your bones, God is here. You couldn't do that then but you will be then 24-7. And what we feel here, what you sense here, what you're interacting with, the presence of God, it'll be like that times a billion. That's incredible. See, when we, when we talk about heaven, it's like, oh, we're going to worship for all of eternity. Just a big old flat lands. And we're all just standing there. Holy is the Lamb. Worthy of praise. That doesn't sound very exciting. No eye is seen, no ear is heard, right? As best as you could put it together in your mind, it'll be that. Times much more. It's so good. His presence is there, He's with you. You don't need a mediator anymore. He's there physically. When you get to the gates, you're not gonna say hello to St. Peter. You're going to meet Jesus face to face. Your Savior with his pierced hands. There's no more need in heaven. Everything that you need or you want that's righteous and in God, you'll have full access. There'll be no more need for money. No more need for doctors. No more need for all of these simple pleasures, you're going to be so satisfied in the presence of God that you'll have no need. Revelation 21.6 says, Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega and the beginning and the end. I will give you water to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. This is the exact same water Jesus offered to the woman at the well. He wasn't talking about dipping in the bucket just for water. He was saying the water I will give you will satisfy you and you'll want no other water. It's the same water and it comes without cost. This is satisfaction to every one of your earnest desires in God to be known, to be loved, to be affirmed, to be built up, to be known.
0: Satisfied,
1: And no more,
0: no more pain.
1: If you have pain, no more, no more death, no more sorrow, no more tears. It's all passed away. I mean, your worst day in heaven will be better than your best day on earth. Psalms 56 says, you number my wanderings. You put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? You see, it says that he's going to wipe away all of our tears. I think that this is actually literal, not metaphorical. That that God has actually kept in bottles, in jars, your tears. He knows your hair. Why would he not know your tears? Why would he not know the anguish? It says that he's with you in your lowliness. He's with you in your brokenness. And there is no more tears when you get there. God intimately knows you. And right at the very end, 1 John, and this is the same one who authored Revelation says and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son he who has the son has life he who does not have the son does not have life these things i've written you so that you who believe in the name of the son of god that you may know that you have eternal life you see what john was trying to be able to lay out is some of us are sitting there saying i don't know i'm pretty sure i'm saved I'm I'm almost positive I'm saved. Do you know that that Jesus says, he says, "The, the road is broad. Many will enter, but the pathway to the kingdom is narrow and few will enter. There's gonna be more people that don't go to heaven than do. And what's gonna surprise you is the people that make it through versus the people that don't. I'm not here to preach hell and condemnation, but I am here to say that the Bible says that you are to test yourself. You are to examine yourself. You are to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are truly, authentically, genuinely saved. And if you're not, you shouldn't wait. If you are not 100% sure, God wants you to be sure. He says, you have to believe in the name of the Son that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the Son of God. If you could just stand up out of your seats, We're going to pray a prayer. Just close your eyes, only for a second. Everybody, to pray the prayer. devil, I renounce you. You have no more control. My life's been bought. I've been purchased by Jesus. And my eternity is set in Jesus' name. And we're going to sing this song right now. And I want you just to begin to lift up the name of Jesus right now and begin to declare. i <laughs> you